Trek Geeks is proud to have Fansets as its presenting sponsor. Fansets is the place for amazing pin collectibles with over 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins and new releases every month. Stay tuned for a special discount code good on your next order at fansets.com just for Trek Geeks listeners. Fansets. Our pins have character. This episode is also sponsored by Science Division, the makers of the world's first interactive Tribble that you can control with your smartphone. Keep listening for a special Trek Geeks discount code when you adopt a new Tribble at sciencediv.com. Science Division. Trouble's never been this fun. Hi, this is Alexander Sadiq, Dr. Julian Bashir on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Gamma Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. Office of Scientific Investigation at Podfleet Command. It's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant and the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Greetings, everyone. Future scientists everywhere, welcome to Trek Geeks. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith. It's great to be here with you this week. We have a bit of a schedule change uh, to talk about, which uh, we'll address in just a moment after I introduce my illustrious co-host. You know, scientists have been studying him for decades. And like a, a certain character in Star Trek, he too was labeled Odo Ital um, because they can't figure out what's going on between his ears. He is the is <laughs> the largely vacuous Dan Davidson. And Dan, um, it's good to have you aboard, buddy. Hey, man! Thanks for that introduction. Hey, if ever I'm being compared to Odo, I'll take it. <laughs> Unknown no sample. That's all right, because that's what he was, and he's awesome. So thank you for calling me awesome. I'm glad I'm glad to be here, Bill. I know you are. I am. Um, I also called you vacuous. I, I, I don't know. I, I vacuum the house every chance I get. That's all I got to say. <laughs> <laughs> you know how I am with the English language. <laughs> it's like the two of you speed dated and decided to see other people. <laughs> Very, very nice. Yes, it's, so here we are. Episode 221. We were supposed to be doing something, but we're going to do something else. So there you go. That's right. We're like, going to do like Coda that? this week for Voyager. Yeah. Yeah. But we had the opportunity to talk to an actual science person, mm-hmm. uh, an astrophysicist. And since you and I are not Mensa candidates in any way, we couldn't pass this up. We're going to be joined by a very special guest. Yes, we absolutely are. So, so, so don't worry, Coda fans. We will uh, be there next week. But uh, Dr. Aaron McDonald, who I got to say is just a phenomenal human being, very smart, uh, a lot smarter than either. You could put like 457 of us and duplicate that, and we still wouldn't even be close to how smart Dr. Aaron is. That's true. 
So I don't even know what 457 times two is. So, um, yes, she's going to join us. We're going to talk science with her. She's going to explain stuff to us. It's going to be awesome. And I can't wait. So we get to watch Janeway die next week. I, hey, okay. Well, thanks for putting it in that perspective. Now I'm all bummed. Sorry. But you know what will cheer me up, Dan? Oh, what's that? You telling the folks listening how they can get in touch with us. Oh, it's very easy to do that. If you're looking to get in touch with us, you can head right on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact, and you're going to find a multitude of ways to communicate with Bill or I. There is Skype chat. There's email. There's even voicemail via that big blue button using SpeakPipe. Whatever way you want to contact us, make it so, because we love hearing from you. Plus, there's also the most positive Star Trek group on Facebook. It's called Camp Kittimer. It's our official group, and it's where over 1,700 other friends gather to talk Trek. It's always positive with no bashing or gatekeeping ever allowed. To join the group, head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer and be ready to be part of truly a wonderful social experience. And as always, we want to thank our wonderful admins, Haley, Jackie, and Dan, for the amazing job they do running the camp. But, Bill, it is very important. We have to talk about this every week to get the legalese out of the way. Please yeah. remember that. Any comments or messages that you use in any of these places, maybe use in a future episode. Back to you. Well, thank you, Dan. That was fantastic. Pretty good. Um, I, I really don't know what else to say on that because you and I are about to be schooled. Yeah. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. School's in, sucker. Oh, look at that. I got another F on my paper. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's F for fabulous, right? Oh, okay. And it's time for the news from TrekNews.net. Spanning the Alpha Quadrant. For all the news on all the Star Treks, yo. It's TrekNews.net. In stereo. It's stereo uh. online at treknews.net. It's been a few weeks since we've been able to do the Trek News thing. I know. That's why it's, I'm excited. I know. I could tell you <laughs> you were bringing your A game in stereo. Yeah. No, no less. First up this week, Dan, um, Creation Entertainment has finally given us an update regarding Star Trek Las Vegas. They did so recently. And, well, to quote a certain genius host of this podcast, meh. Yeah. Yeah, you can say that again, man. Meh. So uh, I'm not going still. Yeah. Uh, As COVID-19 causes all kinds of issues for conventions and large gatherings all across the country and the world, we've all been in a state of limbo wondering what will be happening with our beloved STLV. Originally scheduled for the beginning of August, Creation Entertainment has finally announced recently that the date and the venue of the convention for 2020 has been changed. STLV 2020 will now be held from December 8th through the 13th, and will be held at the Caesars Forum Conference Center instead of the Rio. Now, the good news about that is that this new location is a brand new state-of-the-art $375 million facility located in the heart of the Las Vegas Strip. 
What is not known right now is whether this will be the venue going forward if STLV continues in the years to come. Now, I got to say, man, personally, for me, I'm not thrilled with this news. It comes only a week or the actual date of the convention comes only a week or two after a canceled trip to London that I was planning. And it's in the middle of the holiday season. So I I just don't see any way that I'm going to be attending. But for those going, I hope it's awesome. I look forward to the stories uh, and it's and what the new location is like. What about you, man? Well, if if the world is at a healthy enough place where going to Las Vegas for Star Trek uh, convention is safe, I will be there. Okay. Um, I, I've I've booked a hotel. Um, and I can cancel it up until the night before with no penalty. And oh, that's nice. the case with many Las Vegas hotels. Okay. Um, as long as you provide them at least 24 to 48 hours notice, you don't get charged anything. Mm-hmm. You can cancel and, and get whatever deposit you put down back. I've, I've uh, booked a plane reservation for funds that I had allocated to travel to Vegas for August anyway. I already had my flight booked. Yep. So I just moved that flight. Okay. So uh, in reality, as long as... Things are safe enough to go. I see myself going. Um, I get why people are excited. There hasn't been a lot to be excited about in the mm-hmm. last three months. You know, I've been at home now almost 100 days, like a lot of people. And um, we, I think people are looking for a break in the routine. I think that STLV is like like it does for me and like I know it does for you. It re-energizes you. It, it does. It, it gets you ready for the next year ahead in, in this fandom. And um, it's a hell of a time. So I get why people are excited. Um, the timing doesn't matter to me. Um, I get that it's during the holidays. I used to go to Las Vegas that week every year anyway. Literally that, that same week. Because mm-hmm. it's during the national finals rodeo. I don't uh, go for the rodeo, but I used to get my year-end bonus at work at that same time and a bunch of us from work would go to Vegas. So that's okay. how I know when it is. Yep. That is an incredibly busy week in Las Vegas under normal circumstances. So if you haven't booked your hotel, you might want to get on it now because NFR is still scheduled for that week. Yeah. Um, but I, if it's going to be there, I'll be there. I know it's going to be subdued. I know it's going to be a much smaller footprint than normal. But um, I, I almost feel like I got to go again if it's safe. Well, that's part of the reason why I'm so bummed. First of all, I think it's fantastic if you're able to go because yep. Trek Geeks will be represented, which I think is fantastic. And thank you for that. I'm bummed because of some of the things you just said. New facility. I can't mm-hmm. wait to see what the new facility is like. Smaller footprint, which means possibly more personalized experiences yeah. with some of the folks. Like, yeah. oh, my God, could you imagine us going up and saying hi to Frakes after what we experienced with him last Thursday? Um, I just think that those possibilities of having conversations with some of the stars from Trek and, and writers and so forth is really going to be more um, uh, more personal and, and more exciting. So that's why I'm really bummed. I, I just can't see myself booking a trip to go when my wife and I canceled our trip to London. I, I want to stay I married. totally get it. Yeah. <laughs> I totally get it. So um, so we'll see. It's, it's, it's tough because I know a lot of people can't go either based on health concerns mm-hmm. or time of year or whatever. And I, and I understand it. It's going to be a very different year as far as Star Trek Las Vegas goes. Um, I know our fr- friends from Fansets will be there. Um, they've already said that they're going to be there Um, so maybe they'll put me to work if I go there you go the other thing that I've heard some some people saying uh, over the course of the last week since this announcement came out is is whether this will be the last one I mean with with COVID and everything and how things have changed a lot of people are concerned that conventions like this are just going to not happen anymore I 
God, I hope that hope is not the case. I want these conventions to keep going. I want there to be one in August of 2021. Um, so I'm I'm praying that uh, that that's the case. And if if this is a successful location, it's at uh, Caesar's Forum Conference Center. I hope it continues there in the future because I'd love to see what that's all about. I, I think conventions will go on. I think if depending on what occurs, because we don't know, because this theoretically was the last year of Creations right. um, license. Um, it, it may not be in Las Vegas next year, mm-hmm. um, if that's the case. Creation may not be doing it. And even if they do, they may opt for a different location. True. Um, so this this could be the farewell to Las Vegas. We don't know. I guess time will tell. Well, speaking of conventions, Dan, Ooh. virtual cons seem to be all the rage these days. And I had an absolute blast dropping by the Connected Community Con this past weekend on Sunday, June 14th. Uh, Alexander Sadig was on hand during the welcome panel. And uh, as always, he was just fantastic and wonderful, as you might imagine. And if you want to see other Trek stars, including Sid in a virtual con environment, then you're going to have the opportunity to do so very soon. Yeah, these things are popping up everywhere, and I have to say they're pretty cool when they're done right. So if you want to talk to some of your favorite Star Trek celebrities, you're going to have a chance next month as the team behind the Seventh Rule Podcasts hosts the first ever virtual Trek con. From July 22nd to July 27th, the event will be taking place with an absolutely incredible lineup of guests, which include Nichelle Nichols, Doug Jones, Nana Visitor, Armin Shimmerman, Alexander Sadig, Sirik Lofton, Hannah Hattay, Robert Beltran, Ira Stephen Bear, Robert Hewitt Wolf, Larry Nemechek, Dr. Mohammed Noor, and today's Trek Geeks guest, Dr. Aaron McDonald. And that's just naming a few of them. So that's pretty cool. Um, if you want to find out more about it, get more details, check out treknews.net or virtualtrekcon.com. Say that five times fast. I don't think I could say it five times fast. And I think they updated their dates. For, oh, did they? Really? I'm at their website now. It says July 15th through 20. I had heard they oh, were moving the go. date. So if you want more information, go to virtualtrekcon.com. Thank you. Um, this should be a fun one. Um, yeah. I, I don't... Um, I, like you said, they're becoming all the rage. Yeah. Um, and I get why people are, are craving these interactions. A lot of people are doing these on short notice. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think it's helped fandom get by, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. And, and of course, um, the guys at Seventh Thrill Podcast are great. They're going to have two virtual stages. One is going to be uh, named after Renee, uh, and the other one is going to be named after Aaron. So I think that's fantastic. Yeah, and of course, Aaron used to be the co-host of right. the Seventh Rule Podcast with Sirach Lofton. Right. Yeah. Um, so that w- that was their show, and uh, it's only fitting that uh, that that's the case. But yeah, it's going to be on on YouTube on a couple of different channels. So I think that'll be a that'll be a bunch of fun. I'm sure that I won't have anything going on and can check it out. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, Dan, we would be incredibly remiss if we didn't have anything to say about the amazing time we had last week welcoming Jonathan Frakes to Trek Geeks for an, a very worthy cause. And to say it was a success would be a huge understatement. Huge understatement. You know, the Star Trek community and Star Trek family never ceases to amaze me, man. Uh, as many of you know, we did welcome Captain William Riker to the Trek Geeks podcast last week for our live stream event to raise money for Feeding America. Our goal was to raise $2,000 to feed those in need during this coronavirus pandemic. And we were absolutely blown away with what has happened. As of right now, as we record this podcast, over $5,200 has been donated. Now, that's over 52,000 meals 
that are going to help people in the United States. We just can't thank you all enough for your generosity and your support during such a strange and difficult time for so many people. The fundraiser is actually still open until this Saturday, June 20th. If you'd like to donate, you can head right on over to trekgeeks.com slash donate. And if you just want to watch a fun hour of conversation with Jonathan Frakes and two idiots, you can check out our live stream event on our Facebook or YouTube channels. And it was fun. It was a lot of fun. It was a blast. Frakes was as you would expect him to be. He is an incredibly warm guy. Very funny from the moment we got on on, on the uh, on the video conference with him. He was hilarious. He was. Um and and just uh, he he never met us before. Mm-hmm. Before that moment. Right. And he was all in. He had a we played a game with him at, at the end of the uh <laughs> at the end of the hour, which was fun, um, and it was great. We're gonna have the audio from that coming up here on the podcast in just a couple of weeks. So if you didn't get a chance to watch it, uh, we will have the audio only version for you. I think in two weeks, if memory serves. Right. That's what the um, schedule says, anyway. That's what the schedule says. Yeah. You know? I wonder who wrote that. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's such a such a fantastic night, and like you said, an incredible cause. It's amazing to think that fifty two thousand people who. Who may or facing food insecurity are going to get a meal as a result of Star Trek fans? Yeah, uh, when you put it in those terms, I mean that's that, that's staggering, and that's this is specifically for the Feeding America COVID nineteen response fund. Right. So this is a direct response to the pandemic, which is incredible. I was watching today uh, some news stories that um, a lot of food banks are having a lot of trouble right now because of so many people in need. And just to think that we were able to help with a small sliver of help to people really makes my heart sing. So thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you very much, everyone. Dan, it's that time again to talk about our friends at Fansets. They also were on hand last weekend for the Connected Community Con, and they just hit it out of the park, as you might imagine. So many sneak peeks of what is coming this summer. And I know I am very excited about one new set of pins, and I'm sure you are too, buddy. <laughs> excited? Does this face look excited? It looks ugly. Yeah, there you go. I yeah. knew that was coming. I just walked into that rake. <laughs> um, yeah, the stuff that Fansets shared with everyone proves yet again why they are the best in the business. Right now, as you're listening to this wonderful spot for fansets, you can head over to fansets.com and you can pick up the two newest pins, Seven of Nine and Elnor from Season 1 of Star Trek Picard, and they look awesome. The Seven of Nine pin is actually perfectly in time for the Fenris Ranger logo calling card that came out just a couple of weeks ago, so head on over right now. Also coming soon will be Number 1 from Season 2 of Discovery and the upcoming Strange New Worlds. Plus, here is the big announcement, Bill. This is the one that we are both so excited for. Fansets announced at the con this weekend that they have 16 character pins plus the animated uniform Delta for Lower Decks. They're in development right now. Lower Deck pins are coming, baby. And that's fantastic. It really is. Not only can I not wait for the show Lower Decks, hurry up, CBS. Let's go. Chop, chop. But now I can't wait for the pins. And oh, Lou and John and everyone at Fansets, some lower deck sneak peek art would be really nice. Uh, just saying. Yeah. Maybe you could put that out on some social medias, perhaps. 
In the meantime, while we wait for them to show us what they're going to be creating, head on over to fansets.com. Put a bunch of pins, accessories, gift certificates into your cart, because remember, they don't expire. And if you spend more than $30, you're going to get free shipping. Now, as an added bonus, at checkout, just for listening to us two idiots talk to a really smart person, enter the very special Trek Geeks discount code WARPDRIVE. That's W-A-R-P-D-R-I-V-E in all capital letters with no spaces for 15% off your entire order. Now, this bonus code is going to be available to use until Wednesday, June 24th, 2020 at midnight Eastern Daylight Time. Fansets, our pins have character. And we thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of Trek Geeks. Okay, folks, I have to say that last year at STLV, which at this point feels like a thousand years ago right now, um, my favorite panel by far that I went to included this amazing and brilliant woman. It was a panel on women of Star Trek, and she was simply awesome, as were all of the wonderful women on stage that day. She is an astrophysicist who obtained her doctorate with the LIGO collaboration, searching for gravitational waves, which is pretty cool because I haven't the slightest idea what that means. She loves Star Trek and is actually a science fiction consultant for the franchise, and she is the host of the online series Dr. Erin Explains the Universe. In addition to all of that, she is working on fulfilling her lifelong goal of becoming a warp drive expert. Hailing from the City of Angels, Los Angeles, California, it is our distinct honor and privilege to finally welcome the one and only Dr. Erin McDonald to the Trek Geeks podcast. Dr. Erin, how you doing? Hi. <laughs> I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. That was a great introduction. Um, yeah, Star Trek Las Vegas feels like a century ago. Oh, it sure does. <laughs> I, I was looking at my, my countdown the other day, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, we've got, oh, no, we've got like six months to go if I go. Yeah. Um, oh. So it's 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 bleak times right now. It's Usually STLV gets me, it recharges my, my fandom and my energy, and and I get to talk to so many people that I've never met before. And it's amazing. And that's really the, the worst part of this whole thing for me. It's not that I'm at home. It's not that I'm working remotely. It's that I don't get to see a bunch of nerds this summer. Yeah. Congratulations, Bill. We're a minute and 30 seconds into this interview, and you've already brought it down, everybody. <laughs> Some would say that you did that by opening your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> this is what it's going to be like, Dr. Aaron. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Noted. Um, that's all right. So welcome. <laughs> yeah, as we've noted, you're kind of wicked smart, as we would say up in these parts, and we are not. So um, we've got, we've honestly, we've got a bunch of questions, some of which are science related, and some of which are not. And um, if you can give us a better understanding, then um, we should, you know, apply for your Nobel laureate now. Um, because um, this is no small task, I assure you, because Dan is largely uneducatable. (laughs) Said that correctly. (laughs) So so first up, you know, warp drive is kind of your thing. Um, I guess the first question I have typically as a Star Trek fan is, can that really be a thing? Yeah, this is the thing that gets me the most excited and is a little bit of my my origin story with going down the sci-fi route because, as mentioned, I was working in this LIGO collaboration for Gravitational Waves, which is ripples in space-time, space-time being the fabric of our universe. Um, That fabric of our universe is what keeps us from going faster than the speed of light. Uh, Essentially, if you have mass, it dips down. You can't go very fast. Um, the less mass you have, the less you're dipping it down, the faster, the easier it is to move. And then if you have no mass, you just coast along at the speed of light. 
Um, but you can't have negative mass, as far as we know. And uh, so that's why we can't go faster than the speed of light. But nothing, the big key with warp drive is that nothing in those, you know, in the theory of general relativity, any of these equations, nothing limits space-time itself from going faster than the speed of light. So the idea behind warp drive is to build a bubble of space-time around your ship and then have that bubble move faster than the speed of light with your ship just kind of safely inside with normal physics and everything going on there. So that's so mathematically <laughs> it's possible. Um I always joke because I come from like a theoretical astrophysics background. It's like, look, I did the math, guys. The rest is up to you. <laughs> My goodness. See now now what I got out of all of that before I had like a like a stroke um, was was morning, there will be crying in the tower tonight. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I could picture while you were talking about that is in all of the Star Trek series that we've seen, the only one where we've actually seen a bubble was in Star Trek Beyond when the Enterprise was shooting along space. And that was one of the coolest scenes in the movies, uh, special effects wise. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Absolutely. Yeah. And again, it's hard because when we're talking about space time and these limits that we have, we're existing in a four dimensional space, which our brains just, you know, we're the flatland of trying to comprehend that. And so when you try to visualize it, using bubbles, using this trampoline, using all of those, those are just kind of shrunken down dimensions for mm -hmm. us to wrap our heads around what that actually looks like. But definitely agree. I think in Star Trek Beyond, the way they talk about that bubble or the way we visualize that bubble um, of warp is a great way to think about it. Um, okay. Sort of mathematically, it gets a little bit more complicated when you actually start kind of churning the numbers on this, which people have done. I, I tried to do when I was procrastinating writing my dissertation, but there are people who legitimately <laughs> work on this. Um, and essentially what it is, is you compress the area in front of your ship and extend it in the back, kind of in multiple directions. And uh, in order to do that, that takes a stupid amount of energy, because if you want to bend space-time, you need mass. If you don't have the mass to do that, you need an equivalent amount of energy. Um, but the first time that they tried to actually calculate how much energy it would take to build that bubble, the result was all the energy. Oh, wow. <laughs> all of it. Um it has ever existed uh, in the universe. So that's not ideal. Um, but <laughs> it's a little bit. <laughs> um, they have played with sort of how to build it, what it looks like, how much bending there actually, how much warping there actually is. And I think last I heard, they've got it down to about the energy equivalent of a semi-truck's worth of matter. But bear in mind that the hydrogen bomb is a teaspoon's worth of matter converted into energy. So it's a lot of energy. I'm not strapping myself to that. And I definitely understand Cochrane's <laughs> drinking problems. <laughs> I <wish. laughs> yeah. I understand now why wow. he needed that to go up there because, uh, Oh man. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's really kind of fascinating to me is that it requires all this energy. So I, I understand the, the sort of Star Trek construct of matter and antimatter. Okay. Um, does that mean that it's potentially a real thing as far as fueling a, a warp style drive? Yeah. So the way, so the matter antimatter that Star Trek talks about in the warp core and how they power this and how they build their warp bubble Antimatter is a thing. That's not something that's made up in Star Trek. We have detected antimatter. It's something that is a big area of particle physics. 
it's this idea that we have our fundamental particles like protons, electrons, you know, all of those, they have antimatter components. The positron is the antimatter of the electron. When the two of them meet, they obliterate and just turn into energy. So that's a thing. That's I don't like to say that that's real world science because Star Trek is real for a lot of us. But so I call it pre Cochrane <laughs> science. So that's okay. like pre Cochrane yeah, science. Nice. Um, and so antimatter is a thing. But the way that they use it in Star Trek is they basically the warp core is a massive amount of matter antimatter reactions that are happening, giving off a ton of energy. And dilithium crystals are used kind of like control rods. Like, kind of, they help control that mm -hmm. process to keep it from getting out of hand, you know, to help just control the process, really. Sure. Um, so, okay. yeah. So, for someone like me, it's kind of like a governor on a truck, so you can't go more than 55 miles an hour. Fair enough. Yeah, okay. that works. Wow. And that's I can't believe the I got that right. crystals <laughs> break down and you start to have warp core accidents, it's because that broke and ah. now you're out of control. There's a brick on wow. your accelerator. So, yeah. That sounds like a bad day. I'm just bad saying day. Not, I mean, as we have seen many times. <laughs> yes. Keep yes, the yes. dilithium crystals in order. <laughs> so essentially what we have is a giant uh, it, 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 modern internal combustion engine in space. <laughs> That's one way to think about it. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah, I mean, really what's going on, right, is they, they use all those energies, all that matter, antimatter, the combustion engine. It's kind of also a bit like a nuclear power okay, generator, sure. right? Mm -hmm. Because they have the a lot of control processes with the stuff that are managing all of that. Um, but all of that is just the energy to build that warp bubble. Um, you know, once it's going, then you have that energy in the nacelles that are kind of sustaining that warp bubble and keep it going. So it's not necessarily like it's continuing. It's really that initial build of the warp bubble and the ability to sustain it is where all that energy is being focused, if that makes sense. So when we're talking about increasing warp speed, is that basically more of that energy and, and antimatter and matter combined? you know, um, obliterating to make more energy. Is that where the speed factor comes yeah, from? Yeah, there's, yeah. So there's a couple, um, there's kind of two ways to think about it. One is like, you have your warp factor two, and then you go to like 2.3, 2.4. Mm -hmm. That's the ship itself accelerating kind of within its bubble. That's, you know, pushing it ahead, keeping okay. it moving. If you want to go even faster than that, the next thing to do is if you build a bubble around the bubble you have, that's like exponentially increasing your speed and that's your warp factor three. So that's when you're like going from three to four, you're building subsequent bubbles or layers of onion <laughs> around your ship. Um, and, and you will eventually, if you keep following that, will bend all of space and time around your ship. And that's the, uh, Warp factor warp 10. 10. Threshold! Threshold! Those are babies! <laughs> but weirdly, I mean, the way they talk about it in Threshold is absolutely right. They're saying, you know, we're just getting faster and oh faster, and then we've reached the point where we've wrapped all of space and time around our ship. Um, and oh. what happens after that? <laughs> I won't get it. I'm thinking it's not lizard babies. <laughs> I mean, we don't know, but I would probably venture to guess. Dr. Aaron, I will let you know that we recently did a full episode on Threshold, and by the end of the episode, Bill and I were talking about how good it was. So, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, as, as, as a science fiction construct, it's actually not bad. It's the last five minutes that right. really is terrible. 
It's the lizard babies. I will say yeah. though, like Janeway's reaction is still as brilliant. There, it's one <laughs> yeah. of my favorite lines, which she's like, "What makes you think it was your idea?" That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. If Chakotay doesn't abandon the lizard babies on the planet oh. and change that planet's you know native evolution, I think I'm fine with the episode. Other than that, um, dude, uh, dude, Prime Directive. Ever heard of it? Seriously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Akuchi Moya, that Chakotay. <laughs> Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. That's, I have rare moments. That's one of them. So, you know, when we look at sort of the depiction of all of these things in Star Trek, obviously it looked very different in TOS because of budget and because it was the 60s and the technology just wasn't there. But moving forward into like Next Gen and DS9 and Voyager and then skipping ahead of that now to Discovery, which one is kind of the more accurate depiction of, of how a ship kind of looks at warp or or how it actually descends out of it because you know tng was sort of a very mm, and then was that good it sounded like i was was awesome like i was in finding nemo or something and then in discovery it's like bam yeah it's like emerald lagasse for for god's sake so which one of those really kind of makes sense do they both make sense i don't know you know, I think the that's a really good question. And with Discovery, were you meaning when they're coming out of warp or when they're using yeah. the spore drive? Well, when they're coming out of warp specifically, okay, yeah. because it you figure it's a battle of the binary stars when all those Federation ships right. are showing up with the Shenzhou. They're like, boom, 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 like fireworks almost. Yeah. And I mean, to some extent, I that's kind of how I would visualize it, because okay. you are in this bubble of space time, which to an outside observer, you wouldn't really see anything. And so for the warp bubble to dissipate and then a ship just be there... Um, uh, okay. makes sense. That being said, though, I think, you know, we talked a little bit about at the beginning, but the Kelvin films, probably because of budget, not necessarily going into and out of warp, but the various ways that they visualize things like being trapped in the gravity well of a black hole, you know, at the end of the 2009 mm-hmm. one, yeah. or, you know, the bubble and beyond, those little nuances would definitely sort of be the most accurate. Um, but I think a ship just appearing... And maybe having a little bit of, you know, still hustling a little bit, some forward momentum, uh, makes sense. So I always thought, I was like, how can that happen? Because if they're going at warp speed and then all of a sudden they're stopping, isn't everybody going to like go flying into the view screen and get crushed? I mean, I I mean, I'd say the tongue in cheek. (laughs) That was that was the best question you could have asked and i hope you're setting me up for this um, it wasn't it was no. just a question no, he's, <laughs> he's just that dumb no this is brilliant this is brilliant um so the physics the physics phenomenon that makes you that is you thinking it's gonna stop and everyone's gonna keep moving and splatter onto the windscreen is yep. called inertia yes ships have inertial dampeners in star trek that's right for this they exact do. reason oh. yeah <laughs> now, now now not only am i dumb i feel dumb no that was, that was perfect because these are those things that i think like star trek specifically as a sci-fi franchise does a great job of of saying like we're acknowledging that there is physics that is counterintuitive yeah. to us and i think inertia being a big one that you know, you are going at great speeds and you're coming out at great speeds. Inertia will pancake you onto the back of your starship. <laughs> and, and so you just say, well, we have inertial dampeners. Okay. I can't argue with that. It's in the future. You're acknowledging yeah. the physics. We thought about it. All right. That's awesome. I love it. We can only hope they can actually come up with something like that in the future or else <laughs> it's going to be a short trip. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. 
So we we mentioned discovery just a bit ago in the spore drive, and that leads me to like an, a complete other set of questions. I mean, obviously, when the whole mycelial network storyline came into play, and 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 all the discovery haters started talking about, well, the spore hub is stupid; they don't have it by the time TOS comes around. If we leave all of that off to the side, it is a displacement activated spore hub drive kind of possible? Okay. Spore drive. <laughs> so I, I, I'm with you on the sort of, yeah, let's let's not forget about any, let's forget about the sort of con, you know, yeah. continuity type thing. And um, the premise of having an actual mycelial spore network throughout the universe is pretty much scientifically not possible. Okay. Um, the way, because we don't see, so it came from, what we think of, so I didn't work on season one or season two, but where, you know, my friend, my peer, Mohammed Noor, uh, mm-hmm. who's also given some science talks and alongside me, he's the bio dude. So when they have biology questions, they call him. Um, we've given talks on the science of discovery. And so we've dug in a lot into the origin of the mycelial network and where that comes from. And, you know, there is a guy named Paul Stamets who Brian Fuller has publicly, like on Twitter, lauded his TED Talks. Um, so there is a connection there. Um, has talked about this idea that like there is a mycelial network on Earth where you have these roots, these spores that are technically one organism that stretch out for miles and miles, that there could be something like that in our universe in the sense that, you know, you have planets that are destroyed from supernovas that then go and seed other planets that then go. But the idea of having an actual fungus that travels, that is living in our universe is not physically possible because they need oxygen and water and all of Mm. those things to live. Um, The way that I kind of visualize the mycelial drive, and this is something that Star Trek has done, you know, in the past before, is it's really just a shortcut for an allegory. We're talking about some sort of webbing in subspace that they've been able to tap into um, through, it starts to fall apart pretty fast as soon as I start describing, you know, that there's like a space tardigrade that's able to tap into. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but thinking of it allegorically, and the reason I started thinking this way is because if you look up the superstructure of our universe, um, another thing you can search for is like the Millennium Simulation. It shows how the galaxy clusters in our universe are distributed along threads that look like a fungus or look like... Um, you know, neurons in our brain, how they're distributed. The way our galaxies are distributed in the very big scale in our universe look like that as well. And so that's when we kind of saw the mycelial network, that's where my brain jumped to. Um, Because the other thing that it broke in terms of like long-term Star Trek was this idea that you could, in theory, jump anywhere. That you weren't just like limited to a quadrant in the galaxy and so thinking about it that way, it kind of makes sense. And then I do personally like kind of how that they've handled it since introducing this concept and mm-hmm. that the limitations are there. And um, yeah, so that's kind of how I view the spore drive. That's kind of fascinating because it, it seems to me to be the the first really major element of a Star Trek series that's kind of like this. And I'm okay with it because ultimately, I mean, they're telling decent stories that are compelling and they move the action along and I, I appreciate the character building. So I'm, I, I can look at the mycelial network and the spore hub over here and go, okay, I gotcha. Um, so it's really kind of fascinating to me that they actually kind of went with that. 
Um, what can you say? What kinds of questions you get on a regular basis? Do you uh, do you talk to the writers at all? I mean, do they come at you with? So here's this thing. <laughs> You know, that is actually how most of the calls start. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. <laughs> um, but, you know, just kind of, I just want to take a, a quick step yeah, back because yeah. I do think it, it talks about the relationship now that I have with writers and why they have brought me on to be a science consultant for the franchise is because I think science fiction runs this tricky line of knowing when to explain something too much, right? If they had introduced the mycelial network and they just said, hey, there's a subspace network we found we'd all be fine with it. I don't think yeah. it would, because that's yeah. like a transwarp conduits. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. You know? oh, boy. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and, and that's what you run into with being a science consultant or trying to introduce science is sometimes when you try to explain it too much, you start to kind of lose, you get this sort of quizzical Spock face of like, eh, nah, it's, nah. it's funny that you say that, Aaron, because one of the things that I, I don't want to say I had a hard time with because I I loved I loved Discovery is when they had the whole crossover where the ship was halfway stuck in the mycelial yeah. I don't know yeah. plane or whatever that's where I'm like something just ain't right with this I mean I understand why they did it and they wanted to get the story with with um, the Doctor and everything like that but I thought that that was a little a little far fetched yeah and I think you know and like I, I mean just drilling the point home. I did not work on season one or two, (laughs) but I think the way I really view it is that it is subspace and um, it is this network that exists in subspace. And so when you have had moments that you've had accidents with it that have resulted in you flipping over into the mirror universe, that Mm -hmm. is valid, you know, because when we talk about subspace, that's really that realm when we think of our universe as being a trampoline, this flat surface, um, subspace is the area above and below that. Um, so physics does behave slightly differently, and if ships can get stuck part way in that realm, if the engine isn't quite working, weird things can happen. You know, we've had subspace species, 8472 um, mm-hmm. being one of them. And so it is... So all of those little things is is possible, but I definitely I get where you're coming from, where it's just kind of especially when you're trying to visualize it. You know, yep, like, this yep. isn't matching up. Let let me stay on that topic for just a second because you talked about parallel universes and subspace. Let's talk about parallel universes. Um, <laughs> mirror, mirror, yeah, parallel universe. Yes. I mean, I don't even know if that's anything that even is in with things that you've studied or not. What is the? I mean. It's one thing to have a possibility of these parallel universes, but what of you know the whole science fiction aspect of we have somebody who's exactly the same uh, in this other universe? What's the reality of something like that in your mind? Yeah, that brings in sort of... So the idea of multiple universes, there are lots of different flavors of multiple universes that people can use and talk about in science fiction and in physics. Um, the idea of a mirror universe is actually pretty straightforward. It's this idea that there is just one universe... And then you multiply everything by minus one. You flip it over. It's the upside down, if you will. Like, it's ah. literally, you just take everything in minus one, turn your trampoline upside down, and there's another universe there that is completely opposite to the one that we have. Huh. Um, so that's where that comes from. And again, it's kind of, it kind of works. Mm-hmm. Now, the idea that you would have an exact opposite twin on the other side, that starts to get more into, like, quantum multiverses which is this idea that 
every decision you've made, there's another universe where you've made an opposite mm-hmm. decision. It's the Schrodinger's cat of multiverses. That uh, that's what I thought. Yeah, a lot of people <laughs> understand. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you said I I was no, with you was until awesome. Bill cracked up. Yeah. So. <laughs> that was very convincing. Yeah, um, yeah, very convincing. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the Schrodinger's cat, without going too much into mm-hmm. it, is you know that uh, it's a, an allegory for describing quantum mechanics. That the cat is both alive and dead until you open the box and then you collapse the probability state into one of those things. Yep. Um, the quantum multiverse is basically that as well. And that's where you get that there is an evil me out there because there's someone who's making all the opposite decisions that I'm gotcha. making. So that gotcha. those are two types of multiverses so, that Mirror Universe in, does. In that line of thinking, let's say that you're somebody like Bill who's a real jerk in our universe. Does that mean he's a real cool guy in the multi-universe? Entirely possible. Oh, my God. That's awesome. I'm going there. <laughs> it's not and- probable, but it is possible. <laughs> too you gotta think because there's not you know not all of the decisions we make every day are binary decisions and so once you start compounding you know not to get all not to get all math on everyone but like that that i make one of two decisions you make one of two decisions and you make one of two decisions there's like multiple you know uh versions that we can have from that eight different universes from there and then and that was very nicely shown in a graphic on one episode of tng and i don't yeah. remember which one it was i think it was parallels actually it was parallels. they just yeah. had yeah. all the lines going everywhere yeah awesome yeah. okay gotcha so good and where like Worf had just punched through and was yep. touching all those timelines yeah right for sure well, speaking of lines and, and timelines on on uh on your social media the other day you had a, a picture of a whiteboard with all kinds of time travel episodes and lines going here and there so do you have a favorite time travel story or episode in Star Trek and why is it your favorite? Oh, yeah. Um, so that graphic I built for Star Trek Las Vegas last year, I was giving a science or not, it was not science. It was, um, <laughs> it was time travel in Star Trek. And so I went through and I was like, all right, people, Twitterverse, send me your favorite time travel episodes and let's try to find some consistency to the inconsistency of time travel in Star Trek. Um, and it was fun. I uh, did not have yesterday's Enterprise on that white. I noticed. Every single person <laughs> felt the need to point out. <laughs> Bill wouldn't have. I wouldn't have because I hate yesterday's Enterprise. <laughs> awesome. See, maybe that was my subconscious thinking. So. Don't give him. Don't give him any credit, please. <laughs> well, I, I have yeah. a question about that later. But okay, you know. okay. But uh, I would say, like, and I've said this before. I've gone on record many times. My favorite series is Deep Space Nine. Um, yes. My favorite captain is Voy- is Janeway, but. Yes. Voyager has a lot of scientific episodes. When people ask me kind of what are your favorite science-based episodes, I always end up going for Voyager. And I think because both from the fact that they were stuck in the Delta Quadrant and just finding new stuff and that they were pretty consistent with Janeway's character having a science officer background that she wanted to investigate things. And so there's a lot of great science episodes. So I always want to jump to Voyager when I'm asked these questions and Mm -hmm. I'm going to jump to Voyager. (laughs) I wasn't setting myself up to contradict that. My two favorite time travel episodes scientifically are, um, I have the needle, the Voyager with the wormhole. And Mm -hmm. then the Romulan actually happens to be back in time. Love that. That's great episode. Great twist. A great, yeah, great episode. The other one is, um, blink of an eye. 
So when uh, they're above the planet. Yeah, talked about that one too. Awesome. <laughs> yep. And yep. and time is going faster on the planet than for mm -hmm. them. It's this inverted gravity well because they have a tachyon core. It's a solid episode. And the storytelling is fantastic. And so those are the ones that I think I like the most when it comes to time travel stories. Um, however, I would be remiss to leave out Trials and Tribulations because I just love yeah. that episode yeah. so much. And the Ferengi Roswell episode as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, Little, Little Green, Green Man. Man, so good. Oh, yep. so yep. good. Um, yep. I'm I'm a sucker for the fun Star Trek episodes. So. <laughs> it's funny. You get yourself into these whole time paradoxes, especially with Trials and Tribulations, because if they didn't go back in time, those little tribbles wouldn't have been falling out while Kirk was sitting there making his face. I, I mean, it's just that. brilliant how they were able to write that stuff into it. I, I, it never ceases to amaze me, the, the writing on these shows, especially when you're dealing with time travel, because time travel can open up a whole gaggle of arguments yeah. and mistakes and this wouldn't have happened and yeah that's awesome it gets ugly so fast i do a i do a weekly what we call episode club where we talk about you know science behind different episodes and the time travel ones man it's like i end up just kind of staring at my notes before <laughs> it i'm like all right we have to explain how this works <laughs> um what's the i'm completely forgetting the name but the um we did it recently, the Voyager episode where Seven of Nine is jumping around through time. Oh, Relativity? Relativity. Relativity. Yeah. Oh, that, boy, that's that another one. Right one. Out. Oh, yeah, that's right. a good one. That's oh, fantastic. Wow. Yep. What? Yeah. <laughs> really good. The ones that make you think are the good ones. This past weekend, our friends at Science Division, creators of the world's first officially licensed interactive Tribble, held their Connected Community Con, and I tell you, was it ever a great time. Fans from all over attended this online virtual convention and got to hear from Alexander Sadig. They attended Ali Martinez's panel on dealing with negativity and gatekeeping, and plus so many visits with artists and podcasters and people who have some great Trek products. It was it was fantastic. Jay and Kalia extend to everyone, their thanks and appreciation for making the day a huge success. If you want to pick up a mug or a shirt to remember your Connected Con experience or even help support the event going forward, which, by the way, was completely free to attendees, you can check out the merch store at teespring.com slash stores slash Connected Con. That's fantastic. And, it, you know, it's no surprise that it was a great event because, like us, they're huge Star Trek fans. Just like Connected Con, Jay and Kalia have poured their love of Star Trek into this new interactive Tribble, and it shows. Now, these Tribbles are one of a kind, and only Science Division has them. You don't have to worry, though. These Tribbles are not like the ones that Edward Larkin experimented with. No, no, no. They are not dangerous, Bill. They are soft. They make a pleasant sound, and they have a calming effect, unlike certain podcast partners. Yeah. You can buy your <laughs> Tribble right now at ScienceDIV.com, and when it arrives, you can download the Section K7 app on your iOS or Android phone, name it, and even choose what ship it will be assigned to. Now, whether you use the app or not, your new Tribble will be such a great addition to your Trek collection. The Tribbles have three modes. There's At Ease, where they're happy and content. There's On Duty, which is kind of a random mix of happy and angry sounds. And Watchdog. When that happens, let's just say there are probably Klingons around. The app also has an attack button, which makes your Tribble scream on demand at friends, family, or even coworkers. 
<laughs> now, as anyone who listens to the Trek Geeks Podcast Network knows, we are huge supporters of small business. Huge. Especially during this wacky time of COVID-19. And Science Division is exactly that. It's a small business made up of a husband and wife, Jay and Kay Leah. So why not support their small business and order your Tribble right now? And if you order your Tribble today, Science Division is giving Trek Geeks listeners a special $5 off the adoption of your Tribble. So head on over to sciencediv.com to place your order. Now, normally these furry little creatures go for $69.99, but if you enter the special code TROUBLE, you will get $5 off your order. Now, this offer code is available now until June 24th, 2020 at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Science Division. Trouble's never been this fun. And we thank our Science Division friends for sponsoring this week's episode. So there ever ones you watch and you're like, ooh. And, and not just Star Trek. I mean, of anything. Are you able to sit there and not analyze the science? I mean, I remember once Neil deGrasse Tyson did this whole video on all the problems with gravity. The movie. Yeah. And I think it was like tw- 50, 10, 15 minutes long, this movie. It's like, all right. And by the time, at the end, he goes, yeah, but I, I, I thought it was fun. I'm like, seriously? Dude. So do you ever just sit there and go, oh, my God, no. No, 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 no. I'm pretty easy to please. As being a sci-fi fan as well as a scientist, I definitely, and I'm like a relentlessly, annoyingly positive person as well. So I'm not, I would be in a bad place if I just went through all the things I hated about movies that I actually love. Um, but that being said, there, I think, so Gravity was one of those on my list where it was just because... I think the science fiction that struggles the most with scientists are the ones that are like near future or like are supposed to be in our current scientific capability mm-hmm. where it's like I've studied enough low earth orbit dynamics to know that space stations are not that close together. <laughs> so when they're jumping around, I'm like, space is big, bro. <laughs> that's, that's really hard to do and very far away. And so... There are moments that pull me out. Another one that broke my heart is when you get stuff that is very, very complicated and has clearly been thought through, and then they swing in a miss on such an obvious thing. And I've talked about this before, but it was Voltron, Legendary Defender, the new Netflix series, was (laughs) awesome with general relativity, time travel. They are the one of the few popular sci-fi franchises that's ever addressed time dilation as a plot where they were like we were going really fast and we missed our meeting because we forgot to account for the time dilation that we were experiencing time different than you guys in a kids animated show so (laughs) i was obsessed with this because they were just hitting it out of the park with this and then they screwed up the Milky Way and our solar system. Oh, in one line, wow. they were like, we're home. It's our Idiots. solar system, the Milky Way, and a picture of a galaxy. Oops. And I cried. Yeah. Oh, it was no. not a good moment for me. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, I think overall, I'm very, very forgiving, easy to please. It's just those easy ones that I'm just... God, yeah. What about, um, since we're talking about movies that are in close of our time frame, what about The Martian? Yeah, The Martian's an interesting one because overall, well, it was written by an engineer. Andy Mm -hmm. Weir's an engineer. So there's a lot of great science in it. The inciting incident of The Martian is a scientific error. 
because huh. the atmosphere of Mars is only 0.6% what it is here on Earth. So it's like a, you know, if you have a vacuum jar at a science museum and you use it, that vacuum is about what the atmosphere is on Mars. And the consequence of that is that these windstorms that we see on Mars, they kick up a lot of dust, but they don't actually push anything. You wouldn't feel oh, okay. the wind because mm-hmm. there's not enough air there to push on you. Um, so the idea that a, and I'm not spoiling anything because it's like the beginning of the movie, but yeah. that a windstorm blows over the satellite and is about to tip their ship over that's making them go up, none of that would actually happen on Mars. The uh-huh. worst thing is, is that you wouldn't be able to see, but... Andy Weir has addressed that, and he basically explained it as, look, I knew what I was doing, but he made that choice to go for the story over the science because he didn't want the accident to be a fault of the crew. He wanted, like, an environmental accident that would cause Watney to be abandoned and have it make sense. So he chose the story, the fiction over the science. and Mars quake? And I respect that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there are, there. and and again, there's there's no tectonic activity on Mars. So. Oh, damn it. Okay, well, see, see, so that's why I'm not a doctor. You're miss. <laughs> Swing and a miss. I think that's, miss. Wow. that's going to be the title of Dan's uh, debut album, <laughs> Swing and a Miss. No, I mean, a lot of what I do, and in turn, you asked earlier kind of about my job and, and what it's like working with writers. A lot of the important thing for me is to not be, to not <laughs> say that to people. Like, you're dumb, Dan. <laughs> a lot of it is to say, like, yes, and. Okay, so that's interesting. That's just like doing improv. <laughs> it is. It's, it's doing improv. And uh, let's build on that idea. And if we are going to walk ourselves into a corner, let's not explain it. Let's might just... be the funnest episode we've ever done. <laughs> I have never felt more dumb than I have in this this hour. This is amazing. Oh, this is great. Uh, swing and a miss. Dance, yeah. swing and a miss. That's, the, hashtag, that's the hashtag for this yeah. week. Yeah. I'm putting that right out tomorrow with my Trek Tuesday. I I'm glad there's not a. Know I was reading the room, but that's not. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, totally. <laughs> I, I don't think our audience is going to misconstrue wow, anything. Was awful. <laughs> the best part is, is you're wiping tears away from yeah, your yeah, eyes. Yeah, that, that was brilliant. Yeah, that was really funny. Oh. So we talked a little bit about Mirror Universe. So take something like the Kelvin timeline. There's a whole bunch of people out there saying no, that just it doesn't work that way. Um, does it work that way? It super works that way. I love yes. Kelvin Timeline. I love that, people. <laughs> For real. It's like, it's it handles time travel and multiple universes so brilliantly. Nice. That basically Nero going through this black hole that's, you know, he's created, Spock following him, Nero going through that black hole, changing Kirk's past, spawns a new timeline. That original timeline is not affected. We have a new timeline, a new universe that has been created. Whenever we talk about multiple timelines, we can use multiple universes almost interchangeably, right? Okay. This okay. Is, and, and that's exactly how this is treated, that Nero's action that resulted in him going back in time that changed Kirk's past, that killed his father, that's a new timeline, um, the original one has to continue to exist, otherwise mm-hmm. Nero wouldn't have done what he did. Right, um, and that's why we have Spock Prime. His that's yeah, that's the point that ne- people can't seem to get when we yeah. when we try to talk about it. And you've done it perfectly in thirty seconds, and we've been yeah. trying to do it for years. But <laughs> that's exactly the point that we. It's like it's not 
the, the old timeline's not erased. It's still there. It's still going on. Yep. Oh, yep. you're a breath of fresh air. <laughs> I try. <laughs> um, and that's, but that's the thing too. People have to understand that like that is Spock leaving that universe. His mm-hmm. whole universe has, you know, our Leonard Nimoy, Spock Prime, dear to our heart. His action, he went through that black hole and continued to exist in that other timeline as well. But he will not exist beyond the destruction of Romulus because right. he went through that black hole. Um, and it's and, and it's great. I, the way that they did that, I thought was brilliant. I thought if you want to do a prequel with a different budget and a different production house and that's that's the way to do it. Go back in time and make a new timeline. It's great. So it's not like Back to the Future where he's going to Spock is prime is going to start disappearing from photos or no. or no. memory tapes of, of events. I mean, we're going to p- pull up TOS one day and there's going to be nobody where Leonard Nimoy was standing. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, and this is the thing that I love with it too is because because it was a black hole and that action spawned a new timeline. It's very distinctly not the same timeline as opposed to Back in the Future. So again, you think about that like that sheet, that para, you know, that timeline that you have. If you're trying to do it in your own timeline, a la Back to the Future, you're distinctly picking points in your own past that you're mm-hmm. going to. Whereas this black hole that they went through, just that itself spawned a new timeline. Which I don't need to get into all of it, but there there is a whole multiverse theory that has to do with super super massive black holes actually being the birth of universes in other dimensions oh wow so that's why i particularly i'm like yeah kelvin timeline (laughs) (laughs) we that's awesome we've talked about ever since 2009 we love the kelvin timeline just think it's fantastic now let me ask you this not that i want this to happen but i'm curious is it possible in a movie for the Kelvin timeline to reverse itself and the kelvin timeline no longer exists and it's back to the regular prime timeline I have thought about this, and I would say that I would say no is my short answer, mm-hmm. um, because it wasn't the best explanation I can kind of give for why I can't visualize it being undone is the fact that it was a black hole, not a wormhole, and it's a little bit of a cop out. But we kind of talk about wormholes being like bi-directional travel mm-hmm. that you could, in theory, with time travel, whatever you're doing, and I have this on my chart of time travel, that you're using a wormhole, that is connecting two points in space and time, but that's implied that it's within our own universe. If you create a wormhole, which they did in Timeless, that resulted in a new timeline, that could be undone because they there's still a connection to that original timeline that they had, which is why Harry Kim was able to send that message back and have them mm-hmm. change their action. A black hole is kind of a one-way trip. And so the fact that Nero went through that, popped out in a new universe, um, you'd have to undo the black hole. And the way that they said very explicitly that that's what it was, kind of just in my head, I was like, that's a one-way trip. Again, too, I mean, you could, in theory, try to find a way to connect the Kelvin timeline to the original one, then you'd have to change... I guess the... The underlying effects of that is that Romulus wouldn't be destroyed because you wouldn't want to have... It's all Nero's actions, really. Mm -hmm. It's his actions that caused that Kelvin timeline, too. So you'd have to kind of... 
If we were the temporal cops right now, you gotta go through <laughs> and you gotta deal with Nero. And he seems difficult to deal with, so I bit. just let the Kelvin timeline be. But it's it is interesting to think about and, and that's okay. kinda how I, I was like, Well, it's not a wormhole, it's a black hole and you can't shove it back in where it came from. L- let me ask you one other quick question, because I know Bill's just itching to get a question, but this this just popped into my head as you were talking about wormholes and we all know about Deep Space Nine and the wormholes. I wanna talk for a second of whether or not this was a mistake or just the wording was wrong, the wormhole in the motion picture. When they get stuck in a wormhole and and there's an asteroid in it and everybody's, yeah, Bill's doing it right now on camera and he's doing a pretty good job of it and everybody's stretching. What was that? Was it really a wormhole? What's your take on that one? Was that that was connecting the to the point closer to the center of the galaxy, right? No, in in the motion pictures when they were trying to use warp drive on the new refitted Enter- Enterprise, and there was some kind of um, Giant mis- asteroid. Yeah, yeah. there was a misalignment somewhere, and it caused a wormhole that they were stuck in, and they had to phaser or torpedo the asteroid to get out of it. That's right. I do remember that. I'm I'm actually not upset with how they talk about it okay. <laughs> in that um the ones i would pull it through to compare it because you you mentioned the deep space nine first and so that's kind of where my brain was mm-hmm. bringing up the motion picture um but this idea that wormholes kind of exist in a slightly different dimension when we talk about the wormhole aliens if you think about it connecting two points in space and time you know, if you sort of have these parallel lines and then a wormhole tunnel that's jutting through those, that tunnel is perpendicular to the other two timelines, mm-hmm. the other two planes of space and time. So the fact that they live perpendicular, their kind of their time doesn't exist in the same way ours does. Mm-hmm. And so I've always had that in my mind that wormholes, time kind of behaves a little bit differently in a wormhole. Um, the thing that I recalled with the motion picture was similar to, I think it was Timeless, and it might be the uh, Eye of the Needle too, where they talk about these eddies, these sort of gravitational eddies that mm-hmm. are in wormholes, where there's a presence of mass that's kind of disrupting space-time, making it difficult to move through that. And okay. so that's kind of what they were doing with that asteroid in the motion picture. But okay. I, I will be honest, I have not scienced the motion picture. <laughs> so I will put that on my to-do list. And if my opinion changes, I will let you know. <laughs> it sounds like this is going to come up in the Patreon. I'm just throwing that out there. I, you know, it's we throw it out there. That'll happen. <laughs> It'll end up we, being a four-way tie and we'll get to it Right, right. <laughs> um, so yesterday's Enterprise. That episode drives me crazy for a number of reasons. Uh, The first of which is um, people tell me how awesome it is, and I just don't think it's awesome. Let's set that aside. One of my biggest gripes with it is that people go, oh, it's a great great time travel episode. I'm like, well, yeah, there's a time travel element through the spatial anomaly, but really what we have is the prime timeline altered, not a new timeline. Yeah. And people, in my opinion, people seem to misunderstand it or, or... or mischaracterize it. So uh, to me, it's it's nothing more than a reset button episode. And and from you nodding your head, it sounds like I'm 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 kind of right in that regard that it's the same timeline, but different. You can kind of make th- so the interesting thing with yesterday's Enterprise, which I will say, 
this isn't me name dropping, but I did a thing with Jonathan Frakes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and, you did. So did we. we. <laughs> and we had that conversation. Yeah, that's right. And but we I specifically asked him as an actor, was there any scripts or stories that he got that hurt his head that he left being <laughs> like, all right, I'm going to say the lines. I can't think about this too much. And it was, yes, he was like, yeah, yesterday. Yeah. Surprise. Uh. There's no, no question. Um, because I keep going back and I think I kind of agree with you, Bill. And if we want to really redeem myself with my whiteboard of time travel, I asked Twitter to send me their favorite time travel episodes and no one sent me yesterday's Nobody. enterprise, which is why that wasn't on the list. So oh, wow. I'm just saying, go. boom, <laughs> I should have remembered it. I will own that. But um, I think it's pretty inconsistent with the way they, because they leave it open that it could be either a sealed knot in our mm -hmm. own timeline, or this could be like Bucky bringing back the baseball glove, not Bucky, um, green, uh, not green arrow. <laughs> I've done that every freaking time. <laughs> the Marvel dude. <laughs> Captain America? Uh, no, the, yeah, the... the angry one that killed Black Widow. I'm just going to get angry if I keep um, talking about it. I've erased him uh, from my brain for a reason. The Hawkeye. Winter Soldier? Hawkeye. Uh, Hawkeye. Hawkeye. Yeah, Sorry. Hawkeye. Nobody you. remembers Hawkeye. He's like the Avenger that never gets <laughs> He's Avenger Light. He's like, nobody ever says, hey, help me, Hawkeye. Nobody ever nobody does that. <laughs> yeah. With good reason. So, um, but there's there's this idea, right, that Hawkeye, when they were testing the the mm -hmm. time travel, that he all he altered, he brought back the baseball glove. Right. And so technically he created a new timeline with that. And so I'm bringing that up because it's like an inconsequential change, but I feel like that's kind of what yesterday's Enterprise did. Personally, I feel like they messed up with the timeline and Tasha Yar's story so much. Yes. Actually, everything since yesterday's Enterprise is a different timeline. <laughs> I thought this I forever. <laughs> yeah. I say the same thing about The Visitor, actually. Yeah. Interesting. Because the, everything that yeah. happened in Jake's life was supposed to happen, but he cut the cord, which sent everything back to the moment of the accident, which created a new timeline. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. We were watching that timeline happen, and right. then it got – which, I mean, those ones where they, they happen and then they disappear, I, I'm more okay with, right? Right. So, Same like, here. the visitor um, – Twilight Enterprise? What's, yeah, the, um, oh, I'm trying to think of another one. Oh, the Year of Hell, right? Yes. So Voyager's Year of Hell. They go yeah. back, they cut the cord, it's done. Um, that timeline did happen, but we don't, rem the characters don't remember it. So Visitor and Year of Hell, I would, I would lump in that same one. But yeah, nice. I think the same thing happened with Yesterday's Enterprise, except with the Tasha Yar thing. Mm -hmm. So it's like we've changed Tasha Yar's story. So yeah. it's really a different timeline. Well, um, and that, that that brings me to to the whole Tashiar thing, which my brain just can't reconcile because apparently she was alive in two different spots on the same timeline. Yeah. Um, in season one of TNG, she's still alive, and at that same time, uh, Tashiar from the future is back in time on Romulus having Sila. Yeah. Exactly. And that and hurts my head. Why, that's why, that's how they describe it. And then as soon as you ask that question about like, oh, okay, well, how many Tasha Yars are there? Right. Your head starts to hurt because they've described it that way. But if you, if you think about it as being a separate timeline, then you're kind of okay with it. The problem is it just doesn't quite close right. the loop for you know, yeah. who, which timeline are we actually watching? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that's, that's where it falls <laughs> wow. apart. 
I, I feel so vindicated in so awesome. many ways right now. This is the most I've ever like debated yesterday's Enterprise. And I feel like I've been wanting to do this for a long Bill time. Bill is going to be on cloud nine for like the next month. I, I'm smelling I a new. It. I'm smelling a new Vegas panel for 2021, which we're going to pitch. Yes. And we're going to invite you to. That'd be yes, awesome. Please. Awesome. Why yesterday's Enterprise sucks. I was like, why it's an overrated. Yeah. Yeah. Good word for no, it. I totally, I totally agree. That's so funny. Oh. That is so funny. I bet you we could convince Freaks to be on it. Or oh, I'm sure we could. Beautiful. And Denise. Yeah, uh, and Denise. Sure. Like, gotta wear that stupid wig again. Oh my no. God. <laughs> I mean, and to be like, sort of to its credit, like, first of all, it's not. There are worse episodes. There are. No. Absolutely. Um, but I do, it is obviously a very popular one, as everyone responded to on my Twitter. Mm-hmm. It's a great story. This. It's a good story, and it's a clever way to bring back a character you killed. Yes. Right. Um, it just kind of falls apart as soon as you scratch at it. And I think that's the frustration. Is yeah. It's just, it's not as tight as we would want it to be. <laughs> I, ha- I have the vapors. The vapors. <laughs> <laughs> so, Aaron, I've got a, I've got a question for you. It's a multiple choice question. Oh, um, we we've talked about we've talked about warp already a little bit. Which of the following, and I think warp is is your answer. So let's take warp out of it. Actually, okay. is the most possible at some point warp drive transporters? We saw on the fly that didn't go too well for for <laughs> Jeffrey Goblin. A holodeck or food replicators? Ooh. So and my, why? Yeah, I would say replicators. Because um, ah. if you think about it just changing matter to other matter, 3D printing technology, that's okay. not far off. If we're able to sort of do 3D printing at the molecular level, because we also have a lot of great research and strides in the last few years into synthetic meat, like into synthetic food products True, yeah. um, that are grown in a lab, you combine that with 3D printing, that's not far off. Um, and a lot of, I mean, so much research has been done into like what makes red meat, red meat, like white tofurkey mm-hmm. suck. <laughs> like all of those, <laughs> like people have done that research. And, and I saw a great documentary about like finding that one protein in red meat that had been huh. missing from vegetarian food, which is why there's like this insurgence of like the Beyond Meat type food that actually mm-hmm. tastes like red meat is because they found this one protein that they can recreate. And so I feel like replicators are sooner rather than later. That said, I also have a VR headset. And so <laughs> holodecks yeah. are just, I I get Barkley. I'm like, I... Oh, so do I. I would never come out of that freaking room. <laughs> right? Like, I, and I love the yeah. fact that Deep Space Nine was like, we know what it would be used for. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> Let's yeah. all be honest here. You and your Shakespeare stories, whatever, dude. Yeah. Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we nope. know what uh, well, you know what's up. Um and so like VR has also got great strides. I just think that that's sort of the holodeck is a little bit more like the Ready Player One style where you'd have to have mm. these bi-directional haptic technology that I think is further off than replicators, but I I would put both of them on possibly in our lifetimes. Possibly. Oh, wow. Um okay. to see something similar. I mean that said, you know, Star Trek view screens, what we're doing now, flip phones, all of right. those yeah. did seem very, very far off. And that's right. that's a lifetime. Um, 
the transporter will never happen because of Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. So until we invent a Heisenberg compensator, that's what I thought. We still need that. <laughs> yeah, that's a, Dan was just talking about that earlier. He's like, oh, I don't think we're ever going to have a Heisenberg. I got to talk to Mr. Heisenberg and yeah. get some of that. Uh, I, I think is, he's busy making meth. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it is one of my favorite things, and I always say, as yeah. a sci-fi consultant, just the ability to say. Oh, that physics says no. <laughs> like, yeah. to a transporter, physics says no, and I can point to the one thing, which is Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, and then to just be like, well, can we compensate for that? <laughs> what if we have a Heisenberg compensator? Boom. Okay. <laughs> I, I can't argue with that. So, so awesome. in, in, in ten, 10 words or less for, for people like Bill who might not understand what the Heisenberg uh, uncertainty principle is? Hey. What exactly is the? Heisenberg I thought you'd answer? never ask. <laughs> I was just curious. I mean, I know what it is. Obviously, our audience probably knows. We don't. <laughs> I have the slightest yeah. idea. I really think it's Walter White, but that's okay. That's that's acceptable. No, that's fine. Um, it's it's essentially it comes from quantum mechanics, and it's saying that you can never know exactly where a particle is. That the more you know about where a particle specifically is the less you know about its momentum, how fast it's moving. Um, So it's like this play, and then there's a limit to it. So the more you are able to say it's definitely there, the less you know about how fast it's moving, and you play with this, which is like my favorite physics joke of all time, and I cannot believe the StarTrek.com editing team left this in my video about transporters. (laughs) This is the dumbest (laughs) joke in the world. But uh, a cop pulls over Heisenberg, and he says, Sir, do you know how fast you were going? He says, no, but I know exactly where I am. He says, oh, you were going 70 miles an hour. Now I'm lost. <laughs> you are welcome. I, um, I got it. Dan is still trying to grasp it. So, but the, <laughs> That was good. <laughs> so the big key with transporters is that you're going to want to know exactly where every particle is. Yeah. If you're going to break them apart and put them back together again. Um, and you just can't. You just... Physics says no. We can never okay. know exactly where all those particles are, and I want them to know where all my particles. Yeah, are. yeah, th- th- that's kind of key. Yeah, just a little bit. So, so is the is the transporter really a giant death machine? Oh, it's so interesting mm. to think about. I mean, <laughs> so Star Trek has gone in two directions with the transporter. Whether you break down the particles map where they are, send that information over, and then rebuild out of other particles um, versus mapping where all the particles are, actually moving the particles themselves, and then rebuilding those people. We've seen examples of both, multitudes of examples of both, Mm -hmm. right? You get two Rikers, you double the beam, you end up with two Rikers, um, or, you know, Jordy and Roe end up half-phased wandering around yeah. the ship because right. their particles got But don't fall through the floor. But don't fall through the floor, right. yes. No. <laughs> or, you know, they touch the window at one point. <laughs> I'm like, dude, space! <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I, I just distinctly remember just them them being in the view, in the view screens in 10 forward, and I'm just like, Space is right out there. They should fall through <laughs> right now. Yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so, so they 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 use both of those examples throughout. We can't say whether Star Trek has ever taken a side one way or the other on how the transporter works. Um, 
<laughs> it being a death machine, I think, is more if it does destroy you and rebuild yeah. you out of something else. That's more horrifying than if it's moving your actual particles. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's neither way is necessarily happy. I definitely bond with Hoshi on that sense. <laughs> oh, and I, if, if, same here. If one particle was missing, you'd end up like the Vulcan and Star Trek the motion picture. I or would like think. Dan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, and it's so funny I, I, because another stream that I do with a friend who's watching TNG the first time she um, we watched the Barkley transporter accident episode where the, yeah. the alien comes through uh, yeah. Yeah. and he's like freaking out about the transporter and basically WebMDing his like transporter accidents <laughs> and O'Brien and Jordy are trying to talk to him and they're like dude you'll be fine like thousands of people go through and all I can think is like You've had five transporter accidents in the last, like, two weeks' worth of episodes. <laughs> oh <my> God. <laughs> That's great. And he becomes chief engineer on a space station. Yeah, you're not making it. the case for this, O'Brien, at all. <laughs> but anyway, it's, yeah, the philosophical aspect of a transporter, I gotta say, I would, I would have a hard time stepping into one. That would be, I kind of get it. I guess I'm not surprised why Bones doesn't want to get in one either, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Or Pulaski, or any medical professional worth their salt, quite frankly. And what was Based the name of the guy who created the transporter in Enterprise? Who's in a wheelchair, I believe. Henry Erickson. Yeah. Thank you very much. And refresh my memory because I haven't seen that episode in so long. Did the transporter cause his accident, which caused him to be in the wheelchair? I don't remember. I don't recall that. And now we're going to get mail. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But that's okay. That's now we're going to get mail. We're no Just mission log. To Dan at Trek Geeks. No. <laughs> I have I have one more question. Okay. I don't know how many more Bill has, but I have one more that I wrote down. I'll probably think of others if we need it. We talked about Voyager, mm -hmm. and Voyager's your favorite with the sciencey stuff. How do you feel about neural gel packs? What are they? Are and does the purpose that they try to explain in Voyager work? Because to me, it was a big thing in season one, and then we never heard about them again. <laughs> yeah. Unless unless you wanted cheese. Yeah. Right, uh, kind of like their photon torpedo count. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. I, you know, it is it is interesting. I have thought about these these neuro packs for a while because I do think Voyager season one is one of the more solid season one seasons yeah. of any Star Trek series. Um, they hit it out of the park with quite a few episodes early on. Um, but these gel packs that because do they they get infected. Do they just have a disease themselves, or was something introduced into them? If I think I'm... it was a little column A, a little column B. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. multiple things that happen. The yeah. way I think about it, I mean, we in our own technology, especially these days, we are starting to look to biological systems to help with technology. That, you know, we do it even as data scientists. Our, our brains are better statisticians than a statistics program can possibly do. We can look at data and go... Yeah, that point should not be there. That doesn't make sense. And so this idea of using biotechnology of some sort embedded in a spaceship is not out of the realm of possibility. And if we want to think about it just being like, well, maybe they have these components that have what would technically be biological matter. You know, talk about like hydrocarbon chains, things that if we found, I suppose I'd put it this way, if we found a bioneural gel pack on a planet we would there would be a debate on if it was organic life or not 
I guess is how I would phrase that. That okay. it's still used for the technology, but it contains components that strongly resemble biological life. Let's say it's like the Horda of the space station. Nice. <laughs> what was the actual reason for them, though? I can't recall if... It, I mean, it's not like... I mean, it's not going to, like, make decisions faster if it's organic, because that's what the computer's for, I would think. So yeah. I've always had a problem figuring out what they actually for. It sounded pretty cool. Right. But... I, I mean, I but know. if we want to go down yeah. that route, maybe they did try to have something along those lines of saying, like, well... Because this is what sci- citizen science is, right? We have people look at data to try to find anomalies knowing that our eyes are better than a computer, you can kind of do the same thing that hmm. maybe in the machine learning realm, if we're able to harness, this is hundreds of years in the future, so we got a lot of leeway here, right? Um, if we can harness those neural networks that our brains do when we do decision-making, that that behaves faster than building in machine learning software, mm-hmm. that you can have these bioorganic neural compounds on a ship, make decisions, um, I'm kind of okay with it. Did I science us out of that? <laughs> no, I actually think that uh, you heard it here first on the Trek Geeks podcast. Dr. Erin McDonald just started Skynet. <laughs> she right. did. She did. <laughs> I'm not far off, am I? <laughs> no, you're really not. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if you've heard of the Davidson Principle which says that idiocy can exist in a vacuum, especially between a podcast host's ears. Um, I've just read about it myself. It seems to me to have a lot of scientific validity. There is general consensus about it in the scientific community from what I've read. Um, Is this one you're familiar with? You know, we will spend a lifetime exploring the void between people's ears. And never quite understand. I'm not saying who. <laughs> no, but I, I, I will. That's that's fine. Um, uh, Dr. Aaron, just a few minutes ago, I mentioned your Patreon, and I'd like for you to mention it now, aside from the fact that <clears throat> I was your first patron. Um, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about your, your goal and your mission there and, and what you're trying to teach people? Thank you. Yeah, I um. So I started this in March of 2020 this year when the world started changing quite a bit. Um, and mm-hmm. my own my own personal professional world started changing as well, not predicated on a pandemic, but actually because I was able to step back and focus on doing science fiction consulting. Um, but one of the things that I love doing is providing online content for people. So while my professional focus was shifting, I still wanted to be able to provide a community and a platform for people who love science and science fiction. I think a lot of us fall into that. Um, But I'm particularly passionate about using science fiction to teach science. I think that a lot of reason people don't understand or shy away from science is because they don't have those reference points to go to. And as a sci-fi fan, I think that those reference points live throughout science fiction. You just have to know how to use them right. And I'm not faulting scientists for this. I think a lot of scientists understand their science based on the equations. Based That's just how they view it. Um, and so it's hard to step back and, and say, oh, well, that's kind of like, you know, a lightsaber. <laughs> you know, and, and you just lose a lot of scientists right away. But a lot of a lot of the general public would start mm-hmm. to understand that. So that's the type of thing that I'm trying to do. Um, so it's Dr. Aaron's Astrometrics Lab. It's very fun. It's a very fun community. 
like I said, we do this episode club where people can propose movies, sci-fi episodes, kind of anything that we want to talk about. And then I go and watch those and do the research. And then we meet for an hour once a week and break down the science behind them. And sometimes they end up being longer than the episodes themselves. <laughs> um, but it's fun. And, and it's a great way to teach science. It's a great way to break down, I think, I think a lot of us, myself included, are starting to learn more about entertainment writing as well as the science to say, okay, well, why did they do this? Why, where did that come from um, when the science is not there? <laughs> and, and just to create a really positive atmosphere. I think the reason, you know, people like you guys, all of us have these, these podcasts and these communities is because we recognize the value in being among people who kind of love the same right. thing. And yep. there's something very special to that. So I'm I'm not the only one, but I, I like to bring people together who like that Star Trek science sci-fi aspect. And it's a lot of fun. It's been great. I got I to gotta say from my standpoint, Dr. Aaron, you and, and this is something I thought of back at STLV after watching your, your panel. You are such an inspiration to young women and young men mm -hmm. and old women and old men with what you do, your brilliance, your ability to explain what you're talking about to people like me and that guy. I mean, really, it, it really is amazing to to listen to you speak about all of these things and having it be in the world of Star Trek that we love so much just makes it I could sit here for days listening to you talk about yeah. this stuff so and i mean this in all sincerity as soon as we're done here i'm going to join a patron oh thank you <laughs> yeah. yay it's fun. Yeah, you, you still weren't first though jerk um <laughs> unfortunately he still is <laughs> yeah, yeah. Win. He's, he can be first at one thing i'll let him well you know it, it, it's interesting because you know dan and i grew up in an era where you know science fiction on television wasn't considered as something you could learn from as far as the science went yeah and you know that unfortunately we're only we're not going back that far we're going back to like the mid-1970s you know when dan and i were, were both in elementary school and to see what people are gathering and learning and and how they are inspired from science fiction today is fascinating to me i, I had the opportunity to meet gene roddenberry in 1983 awesome. he was on his lecture circuit and he was in laconia new hampshire um, doing a, a, a talk at the, the Laconia High School in the auditorium. And um, he brought the, you know, the infamous uh, blooper reel from TOS, and he spoiled the fact that Spock was coming back in Star Trek Three. Oh. But afterwards, after the whole you know, lecture, there was a crowd of young people, and by young, I mean 16 and younger, around him at, at, on the apron of the stage. And all they wanted to do was talk to him because he had this vision of the future. And I... I asked him because I, I was about 12 at the time. I said, do you really think that these things that you've thought of are really going to be built? And he kind of looked at me and tilted his head a bit and said, of course I do. Don't you? It's going to be your generation that builds it. Yeah. And that made me think of science differently. So whereas I wasn't the greatest student, I appreciate having the opportunity to learn these things now because uh, you put them in a way that makes sense and not just to me, but to all kinds of people out there. So I want, I want your, your Patreon and your online stuff to be hugely successful because I think that when we have more science in our lives, unlike some current event type things going on, mm -hmm. um, I think we're all better people. That's what it comes down to for me. Agreed. No, I really, I really appreciate that. And I think um, it is so important to especially bring the Star Trek 
and sci but Star Trek is such a legacy and there are generations yeah. of scientists who you know, it's myself, but it's also like yeah. my parents' generation who became scientists because of Star Trek. And yeah. and I hope that that carries on. And I'm so grateful that Star Trek has given me this opportunity to have a bigger voice in that, to be able to put in some cool science that you haven't seen yet. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but to put in some cool science. And, and I'm grateful that they recognized that that is an aspect of the fandom that is important and precious to a lot of people. And that's absolutely the, the target audience that I love is people who just love sci-fi and find science interesting and mm -hmm. are are excited to just meet a scientist and just ask questions that they haven't had the chance to ask before. And that's that's most of my interactions at conventions are just going, hey, I saw this article <laughs> and I have a question. And I love yeah. being available to do that. So it's really important to me. And, and I love being just even touching this franchise is, is very special. So where can people find you online to uh, to learn more about what you're doing? Mostly on Twitter, getting yelled at for not including yesterday's Enterprise in a list of TNG. <laughs> <laughs> time travel episodes. Um, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Dr. Aaron Mack, D-R-E-R-I-N-M-A-C. And um, that same uh, at dot .com and Twitch, uh, the same handle there. That's where if you want to take part in the live streams, we can do that. Um, you can interact with us. The patron, as we mentioned, is Dr. Aaron's Astrometrics Lab. And then I have a YouTube channel as well. If you search for my name, uh, it's Dr. Aaron Explains the Universe, where we put up these recordings. And then I'm also doing things like teaching Astronomy 101 and, and have a lot of fun, geeky science content there. So I'm hard to miss. <laughs> well, thank you for teaching these two idiots a little more about science. Yeah. I feel a little bit smarter. I don't know about you, Dan. I put my pants on. Congratulations, buddy. And a Black 3 reference. Yes, Great job. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, that's art imitating life for you. <laughs> Well, Dan, you know what exactly isn't science per se? Our love for five-year mission. Ah, you blinded me with it. <laughs> I, I know. I thought it was the sun blinding you because it yeah, looks like it's, it's it right in your face. It's right there. <laughs> it really is. It's like, <laughs> it's shining right off your dome. It's, it's getting me in the eyes and I'm on the, on the, on the, the TV there. Um, <laughs> but we love five-year mission. Uh, they provide all the music to this podcast. They themselves have their own mm -hmm. show on the Trek Geeks Network, which is fantastic. Indeed. Want everyone to check it out. But uh, more importantly, go on over to fiveyearmission.net. Get all their CDs. Just order them all. You know, put them all in your basket, check out, get them sent to your house. You can pop them in your old CD player and listen to them to your heart's content because we guarantee you're going to become a huge fan just like Dan is and just like I am. So it's fiveyearmission.net. Get those CDs in your hands. I'm a fan of the phrase ye old. So thank you for using that. A flan? Pretty, I like flan. A, a fan. <laughs> I've never had flan. Anyway, wow. We're just going everywhere with this five-year mission thing. Uh, five-year, yeah. Five yeah, five-year mission. Five yeah. You've heard of them. <laughs> you know, we what a great discussion we had uh, with Dr. Aaron Bill. It was just fantastic. One of the things that was interesting was her take on holodecks. I thought it was interesting. Did you think it was interesting? Absolutely. All right. Well, holodecks are awesome, uh, but they can also be dangerous, not like troubles. Um, like any other addiction, they can take over. And they can cause all kinds of problems, problems with family, friends, work, et cetera. And that actually happened once to a, to a band member who we really care about. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. He was in the holodeck for days at a time playing drums for all the great bands. Led Zeppelin, Rush. Oh, yeah. The Rolling Stones. Oh, man. Wham. I'm sorry, it, what? It was, it was getting bad. It, it really was getting bad. But thank goodness that he had people there to help him, to assure him that they were here, there for him and he was going to be okay. 
It was tough, but our boy got through it, and he learned from it and went on to do great things. So let's raise a glass to Lieutenant Reginald Farkley, because really, it could happen to anyone, Bill. Reginald Farkley. Don't stutter. I, I didn't. Okay, it's not um, sure. He, so, hmm. Zeppelin. Yeah. Rush. Oh, yeah. Stones. Mm-hmm. Wham? Nah, hey, I just, I, I just tell, I just tell you what the, what they tell me. When he's in the holodeck for 17 and a half days practicing Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go on the drums, you know that he might have a problem. Was so, air supply involved too? Air supply, he thought about doing it, but unfortunately the holodeck was not programmed for air supply. So, Well, yeah. thank goodness for that. <laughs> a, a massive disaster averted just Oof. for that. So that's 5yearmission.net. Um, turn off the wham. Go listen to 5YM. That's all I'm going to say. Of course, I want to remind everyone listening that you can support the Trek Geeks Podcast Network via Patreon. There you can see the new designs for both our annual supporters pin and our annual t-shirt for 2020, as well as get unedited audio of all of our podcasts, along with some additional perks there, Dan. Unedited audio could be dangerous. Um, yeah. <laughs> unedited audio is not hey, dangerous. There you go. Nice job, man. Uh, we, we want to take a moment right now to thank our associate producers for Trek Geeks. We are so grateful for their support. So thank you, Adam Sanders, Brandon Everidge, Heather Sohn, John Krikorian, Rick Tatro, Trey Womack, Sean Lynn, Tim Robertson, Tim Serdar, Vikram Bhatt, Greg Rozier, Andy Fark, Kimberly Francis, Ron Robel, Brooke Horton, Jim McMahon, Luke Burnham, Eric Sakian, Lisa Tomlinson, Jamie McGregor, William Edward M. Jr., and the gracious and wonderful Conrad Hutchins. <laughs> that's pretty good. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's different. That's You've been working good. on your delivery. I appreciate that. A stewie that. in there, I think. It was a little bit of stewie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah a little... Uh, sound a little devious. Uh, <laughs> oh, we, Dan. We also want to thank our Trek Geeks producers for their support. They are Ken Tripp, Casey Shasky, Charlie Mulvey, Chris Trebuzio, Craig Ewing, Eric Extreme, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Lionel Marchand, Matt McGonagall, Mike Bovia, Shadow Halloran, Peter Craig, Ken Bird, Jamie Rogers, David Hood, Rachel Delaney, Kyle Castillo, Chaz Bradshaw, Christina Werther, Steph Lescu, and the lovely and talented. Jazz Vashon. You too can become a producer on the Trek Geeks Network, and it is so easy to do. Head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks today for all the details. I wish you could see Abby right now because she's laying back on my floor mm. trying to get my attention, and she's rolling her leg back like my belly is not going to rub itself. <laughs> and I just caught it at the corner of my eye. <laughs> she's doing it again. <laughs> like, stop podcasting and rub my belly. Well, there are there are more important things than podcasting. I gotta say, dog belly rubs might be one of them. That might be. Mm. So, Dan, next week we're gonna be back on track with our celebration of Voyager twenty five, and I feel like we may have stated this before. Yeah, it's, it's everything's familiar. It's not a time loop episode that I'm aware of, but your uh, face is a time loop. Thank you very much. Go rubber belly. Um, indeed, we are going to get back on track. Uh, but when Doctor Aaron is available, you adjust the schedule. Uh, what an awesome conversation and. Anyway, back to next week, as previously stated, you, Ali Martinez, and I all gave this season three episode a see it a few weeks back. Janeway dies. Her dad comes back to guide her to the afterlife. And the crew finally have nice things to say about her because, well, she's dead. Um, it's our continuation of our year-long celebration of Voyager 25 with a deep dive into CODA next week on Trek Geeks. 
the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Wow. It's like it's like I've, I'm having the sense of deja vu. That's a different episode, though. Dan, for more great Star Trek discussion, please check out the other member podcasts of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. You can find them all, including where to listen, by visiting trekgeeks.com slash listen. And, of course, for all the news on all the Star Treks, yo, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode number 221 of the Trek Geeks Podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Coconut, 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 coconut. You know what that is? No. That's a coconut warp bubble when it's going faster. So you got like five layers of coconut. I just learned it from the doctor. I know I'm right. I'm going to go try it. I thought you were going to go for the coconut uncertainty principle. But then I wouldn't Which, know where the coconut was. At that would be time. ideal. That would no. I that would be ideal. No, no coconut. <laughs> Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original series. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast, is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producer Bill Smith. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and discoveringtrek.com. Bing bong. <laughs> Bing bong. <laughs> you looked confused. A, what? Oh, we're at the bing bong part. Yeah. Yeah, we're at the bing bong part. We do <laughs> my, that. My knees hurt. <laughs> it's, uh, dude, it's, it's, it's amazing. So I got to get the, I'm getting the, I'm getting the MRI tomorrow on my right knee. Yep. It could be just a couple of bone spurs that flaked off and is causing a problem, or it could be serious as a quad connector tear which is bad, but it's not an MCL or a meniscus, which is good. That's that's hugely positive. So now my left knee is really bugging me because I'm using that so much to keep off of my right leg. So Overcompensating. I'm, I'm hobbling around like you wouldn't even believe. And my dad has a leg problem, and he thought it could be um, another um, cancerous spot in his, in his bones, but it's not. It's actually a break. He has a break in his thigh bone. Don't know why. Don't know how. So he has to get that fixed. And then this morning, my dog is outside doing her business out in the yard. And when she's done, she always like scrapes her back legs to like put mm-hmm. dirt over and everything. Yeah. And all of a sudden she was like, and she pulled a muscle in her leg, couldn't come up the stairs. So we had to go down and get her. <laughs> so it's like leg central here in Merrimack. So if you want to wish me luck, please don't say break a leg because it's probably going to happen. Uh, how about break your neck? Is that better? Wow. Whoa. Goodness gracious. That what? I'm wishing hard. you good luck. That was a harsh. You're setting parameters on my luck wishing. <laughs> luck wishing, all right. <laughs> Other than that, how you doing? <laughs> I'm, I'm doing. I'm doing okay. I, I have no complaints. I um, Good. I'm just. I'm. I'm here. I'm doing things. Um, how many days have I been remote now? Oh, it's been a long time. It's uh, 95 days as of this recording. So, um, fast approaching day 100. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't mind. I'm just looking to. I got I'm my new. I got my new station set up, so it's more comfortable for me. So I like it. I'm just looking to get back to some contact with humanity. Yeah, that's true. When it's when it's safe to do so, and there aren't more infections, right? And it's not going up like it is, and people that don't believe it are idiots. But that's another story for another time. Um, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah. Um, so a couple days ago, 
I haven't had a chance to tell you this, I don't think, or maybe I have, I don't remember. But so Friday morning, just this past Friday morning, uh, Sue and I usually go out on the patio and have coffee or on the deck, I should say, and have coffee in the morning. And out in the backyard, we have a fenced in area for the dogs. And then it's open where there's um, a little hill to a pond. And then there's another hill to a stream and woods. And it's wonderful. There's no neighbors in the behind us or anything like that. I go outside on the deck to have coffee. And I look over to my right, and there is a giant freaking snapping turtle walking on my lawn. <laughs> and I'm saying bigger than like um, a medicine ball around his shell. He was huge. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I'm like, honey, we have a visitor. And she came out and looked at it. I took a picture of it because I didn't go near it, obviously. And about a half hour later, I looked, and he was walking around. And then when I checked 10 minutes later, he was completely gone. The turtle moves faster than you do right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's not. <laughs> it's a little funny. Imagine if you'd been bitten by that turtle, maybe you would have finally gotten superpowers, and you could have been the hero that saves us all. Way to go, Dan! Turtle man. <laughs> the shell. I don't Captain know. Captain Snapper. <laughs> that sounds. That sounds really bad. It does. I'm gonna pass on that one. <laughs> yeah. I like uh, I like um, I like uh, Captain Turtle. <laughs> no, I don't at all. That's a I don't want to get bit by a turtle to get superpowers. That's probably one thing that you don't want to get bit to become a superhero. Yeah, yeah. Unless you you'd have this completely you know durable outer shell that was impenetrable. Oh, that and a sloth, much like your head. <laughs> Maybe I already got bit by a turtle. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I've heard turtles have really nasty bites. Honestly. It, um, I hear that they are yep. their teeth are razor sharp. They yep. may not move fast, but and they, snapping um, turtles can take off fingers. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, so yeah, we had one. Okay, we have all kinds of little wildlife in our backyard. It's kind of fun. Um, that's fantastic. We installed a ring doorbell. Yes, you did. So my dog Abby, hmm. um, whenever the the doorbell goes off, she just she goes nuts. She hmm. hates it. I mean, like she goes into complete panic barking, alert barking, that kind of deal. And uh, we've had a sign over our doorbell that says, please don't ring the doorbell yeah. for deliveries for anything. So this week after this is, uh, we've had her 10 years now. We've finally been able to take that sign off the door and it's a little weird. Plus to get alerted to motion whenever somebody walks by, because we live in a condo, mm-hmm. I've adjusted the, the alert. Yeah, it's got nice and close. Yeah, uh, got nice and close, but it doesn't stop me from making funny faces and poses when I walk <laughs> back in front of the camera. <laughs> yeah, I was going to moon the camera the other day, Ooh. but I decided that in case the neighbors were watching, that might not be a good thing. Uh, no, that's not a good thing at all. And, and um, I, I can just imagine that you make those. Things. I did that for a while when I first did my ring and, you know, she gets to look at the stupid face live, so I bother doing it in the camera. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, my wife kind of threw down the gauntlet first, and and started making poses and faces at the camera. She did a great job, so I felt like I had to to elevate my game. Mm. Um. So, but so far, I got to admit, it's pretty cool. It is cool, and plus, now great. we have an Amazon Echo Show where I can say, "Show me the front right. door." Yeah. And it shows me the front door. 
too bad you can't say shut the front door, you know? Shut and your face. Exactly. I will say that we started getting tired of all the, because I have it set on my watch and my phone and the Echo show and the Echo in the bathroom. So whenever somebody would come up, we get like six messages going all at the same time. So we shut down most of them. Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. You have an Echo in the bathroom? Yeah. You, sometimes you like to listen to music when you're taking a shower. That's a, the only reason why it's in there, because I didn't want to put a radio in there because they're too big. The Echo Dot is like this. So it's in the corner of the bathroom. And I just say, Alexa, play 70s classic rock. And then I can't do the music that it plays because, you know, Spotify. But yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so here's the problem. Perhaps we should have addressed this in Patreon, but I'm going to okay. say it anyway. All right. Because um, what you could say, and I, I'm hoping not to trigger mine, is Alexa. Play pooping tunes. Wow. So, yeah, no, that would not happen in my house. I know that in your house, that probably is a norm. You probably do them without Alexa. No, see, uh, I envision you having your own playlist for when you're in there. I'm sorry. You call it it pooping tunes. (laughs) That is funny, but I'm sorry to disappoint you. No. But now that you said it, you're going to do it. What could happen? (laughs) Pour some sugar on me. All this in the episode where we were talking about science. Isn't that awesome? Well, you know, two idiots. That is in the title, so. Yeah. Are you ready to to do this, idiot? I am ready, idiot squared. (laughs) (laughs) 